Our Father in heaven, we want to praise you that you are the living, the eternal, the speaking creator and sustainer and ruler of all. And we want to pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying by your spirit this morning and through your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Let me read then Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Please keep that open. There's also an outline of the sermon on the back of the, the news sheet as ever. Um, the NHS has a new diagnosis, a new acronym that they want us all to remember. So it is T-A-T-T. Any, any guesses on what you've got if you're T-A-T-T? You are tired, Jackie? You got it? Yeah, good that the doctor knows. Uh, tired all the time. Tired all the time. Uh, according to their stats, that's uh, one in eight of us. Another uh, 25% are tired most of the time. 60% of us apparently feel tired when we wake up, even after we've had a full night's sleep. And they're very helpfully, I don't want to mock the NHS, they're wonderful, but they've identified some causes of this pandemic of fatigue that is afflicting our nation. Quote, working long hours, too many late nights, and young children, which uh, life in other words. But it is exhausting, isn't it, the pace at which we live. You go around St. Andrews in December, and almost everyone you meet is some very pale shadow of the person that they were in September. And we always then hope that Christmas is going to be this wonderful time of relaxation and rest. And it rarely delivers. And the weariness that we feel is not just a physical thing, but an emotional thing as well. Uh, hard relationships. In families, sometimes exam and work stress, health issues, anxieties, uh, caring for children, caring for parents. Uh, you, you chuck in the kind of the perma crisis of the news cycle, COVID, Ukraine, the Middle East, the cost of living. A lot of us are just left thinking it's just a lot that we're dealing with. And then for the, the Christian, you've got to add in a spiritual weariness as well. We know that we are meant to make progress in the Christian life. That day by day, week by week, we're meant to, to grow in our knowledge and our love of Jesus Christ. That we're meant to 
fight against sin constantly and hunger for righteousness. We are to love God's people and to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. We're to serve, to pray, we're to give, we're to share our faith with others. And that, that constant call of Christ to listen to his word and make every effort to grow is wearying. It's like running a marathon. And some of us find ourselves from time to time thinking, can't I just have a bit of a breather? Wouldn't it be okay just to sit back and chill for a while? Add in for the Christian the busyness of life that everyone feels. Add in the pressure that we feel from the, the world around us to tone down our commitment or to adopt a form of Christianity that might be a little bit more socially acceptable in our generation. And you'll see why spiritual weariness can be a big spiritual issue. It's one thing to start the Christian race, but will we finish? Will we run right up to the finish line? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that is why we need the letter to the Hebrews. Um, the writer calls it a brief word of exhortation in chapter 13. It's as much of a sermon as it is a letter. And it's written to a church that had started really well in the Christian life. But then, and we'll see loads more of this as we go, this combination, external persecution, internal sin, and just general spiritual weariness was tempting them to shrink back from a full-on commitment to Christ that would be lived out in their day-to-day -day lives. And so negatively, the letter is full of warnings, things that they shouldn't be doing. Don't drift away, don't neglect, don't fall away, don't throw away, don't harden your heart, don't refuse to listen to God's word. They're on one side, then positively, all of the encouragements. Pay closer attention to Christ, strive, draw near, hold fast, exhort one another, run with endurance the race that is before us. And these opening four verses are like an overture that set the, the grand theme, the agenda for the whole that follows. How is it that we might be able to overcome spiritual lethargy, if that's how you feel in January, weariness? Where do you find the strength to keep striving for Jesus? Hebrews will say, consider Christ. Consider Christ. Have a, a bigger picture of Christ in your head and in your heart. All that he is, all that he's done. And he will be the one who equips you to keep going and doing his will. Uh, we start with two points today. They're really just appetite wetters for everything that is to come. First main heading, God has spoken in his son. Let me read one and two again. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Starts almost like a fairy tale, doesn't it? A long time ago in a land far, far away. But we're, we're straight into reality when we realize the size and the wonder of what is being said. God has spoken. That is one of the, the, the fundamental truths of the entire universe. It is the, the start point to wisdom and fulfillment in life. It's true, I think, that most of us believe that the way that we access reality, the way that we access 
truth and the way that we access perspective on life is by listening to someone or to something. We'll differ over who we listen to, but most of us realize that we need to listen. Some, we think about listening to our own heart, and we, we trust in our own experience and our own intuition to tell us what life is all about. Others prefer to listen to experts of one kind or another, scientists, researchers, uh, commentators, people with bigger brains than us. Some identify an authority figure, it might be a parent or an institution like a church, or maybe it's just other people. What does society say? What do my friends say? What do my family say about what matters in life? That's how we're going to discern the good from the bad, right from wrong. We're being told right at the start of a Hebrews of a voice that is bigger and better and more reliable than any voice could ever be. Because this is God, and he has spoken. Uh, imagine you're, you're an aspiring actor, and uh, some I don't know, celebrated actor, Morgan Freeman, Olivia Colman, someone like that, comes to town to give an acting masterclass, or you're a, you're a golfer, Tiger Woods is coming to give a swing masterclass for anyone who wants it. Who's going to, of course, everybody is going to want to turn up and pay attention to what is being said. Well, here is God, and he has spoken fully and finally. We're talking about the almighty, the holy, the uncreated creator, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who is alone to receive all glory as well as all of the love and the worship of our hearts. And that God has spoken, not just in a textbook, but in a way that means that you can know him personally and you can feed on his wisdom and share in his life and receive his love. How mad do you think I would have to be to say, Actually, I'm a bit busy scrolling on my phone, or I, I need to do my washing tonight. I'm not sure I can be bothered to listen to him. What follows is an analysis of where and when and how God has done his speaking, and there's a contrast between then and now, because verse 1, long ago, God spoke at many times and in many ways to our fathers by the prophets. He's speaking about the totality of Old Testament revelation. God spoke um, through hundreds of years to different people in different contexts, sometimes in a dream or in a vision or on a tablet of stone, through a person, through an angel. Once it was through a donkey. He spoke in proverbs, in poetry, in parables, in laws, in historical narrative. But all of that was building the stage and preparing the way for God's ultimate word to mankind. In saying all of this, the writer is not saying that we can ignore the Old Testament. Uh, he's not saying that the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament, or that somehow the text of the Old Testament is somehow less inspired than the text of the New. We know that, in fact, we saw a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful, it's necessary if you want to know God for yourself. And Hebrews will tell us God still speaks through the text of the Old Testament as through the New. If I'm not listening to him, I'm missing out. 
by definition, my faith would be malnourished if I only ever opened the New Testament. But all of those many's, many times, many ways, many prophets, many words, were all deliberately pointing beyond themselves to God's final word. Verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Uh, The last days are now, and the Son is, of course, Jesus. And he is the climax of everything that God has to say. So if you, you want to hear the voice of God, you don't need to climb a mountain or take a degree in theology or visit a cathedral and hope for some sort of mystical encounter. You definitely shouldn't listen to your heart or to a bunch of experts or to society's latest opinions. You need to pay very careful attention to the sun. Because all of the mysteries of the Old Testament are revealed in Jesus, and all of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus, and all of the questions of the Old Testament are answered in him. Uh, The application of this opening section of Hebrews comes over the page. If you just flick there on it, same page, chapter 2, verse 1. God has spoken in Jesus, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You'll see the the logic of it. It makes sense, doesn't it? God has spoken. So let's put down our phones. Let's step aside from the things that crowd our minds and pay much closer attention to the sun. And that makes double sense if you're weary If the slog of life, the slog of living for Jesus and fighting sin and enduring the world's opposition gets you down, if in any way your heart is starting to drift, this is the antidote. You don't need to just try and find a new surge of strength from within. Come to the Son, because he is God's message to us, the source of all life and joy and strength. In chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. The rest of this opening paragraph is a series of seven statements about the Son that are there to persuade us and motivate us to want to listen to him a bit more. There are second point. Fundamentally, we listen to the Son because he is better and greater than everything. Um, This idea of Jesus being better or greater or superior is one we'll meet loads in Hebrews. The comparison works on lots of levels. He's better than everything that there's been in the Bible so far. He's better and greater than even the very best of what the world can offer. And he's even better and greater than anything that we've come to know about him in our Christian life already. So if my picture and knowledge of Jesus is this big, well, he's bigger and greater than that. And even if my picture and knowledge of Jesus is this big, well, he is better and greater still. However much I know about him, however much I love him, however much I've served him, he is worthy of more because he is infinitely superior to everything and everyone. Glance at verse 2 again then. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, And then here come the seven 
statements, I guess, of perfection. Whom he, create, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, really, we should have seven subpoints, but for the sake of lunch, I've tried to clump them together under three. So listen to the Son first because he reveals perfectly. Verse three says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, there's only been two people in human history, apparently, who have been so exceptional that the people around them have wondered not just who they are, but, but what they are, because they seem to defy any normal human categories uh, that they could come up with. They did it with the Buddha, and they did it with Jesus. What's interesting is that while the Buddha said, don't look at me, it's not about me, just pay attention to my teaching, Jesus gladly accepted the worship of the people around him. He didn't point away from himself to God, but said, I am God. So that if you start to speculate about what God is like, or if you, you ask, what would it be like if the, the glorious presence of almighty God was made manifest on earth? Then verse 3 says it has been in the sun. Well, you know, if you take some, some plasticine or some clay or something and you, you press a coin into it and then lift it away, it leaves an exact impression behind. Well, so Jesus is the exact imprint of God. He reveals him perfectly to us. You might remember John's gospel. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one's ever seen God, but the only God, Jesus, who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, if that is right, if Jesus alone really does reveal God perfectly because Jesus alone really is God, then wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to listen to him a bit more when he talks to you about life, the universe, and everything? When you want to listen even more than you would want to listen to your own heart or to your society or to some other authority? We're, we're all listening to someone. Why not to him if that's who he is? He doesn't just reveal perfectly. He also reigns supremely. Let's gather most of the other statements under this. God appointed his son, the heir of all things. God created the world through him. The son upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after his ascension, the son sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His name, verse 4, became as much superior to angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. Even the fact that Jesus is called the Son here makes this point. And Psalm 2 is about a Son of God 
to whom God has given all of the, the nations as an inheritance. 2 Samuel 7 is about a son of David who's loved by God and whose throne will endure forever. Daniel 7 is about a son of man whose dominion is everlasting and who will be served and given glory by all the peoples of the world forevermore. And Jesus is the son. Who do you want to listen to then? Do you want to listen to, well, what's your flavor, Chris Evans or Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan or Andrew Tate or Gabby Logan and their kind of take on life? Or do you want to listen to the sun? This is the one through whom God created the world. Literally just spoke and the world came into being. Uh, I noticed on the bottom of my coffee mug the other day, it says, made in Great Britain. But it, if you could read the, the writing on the bottom of the, the biggest thing in the universe, which I'm told is a supercluster of galaxies, you correct me about that if you want to, or on the smallest thing in the universe, which I'm, is a quark, quark, one of them, if you could read the writing on the bottom, it would say, made by Jesus. And that he made it just by speaking. Doesn't that make you want to listen to his word? And he didn't just create everything he upholds or sustains it as well, again, just by his word. Because the, the world isn't governed blindly by the laws of nature and physics equations. It's ordered by Jesus. He's the one who holds the sun and the moon and the planets in place. He's the one who holds the atoms in our body together so that we don't just disintegrate into a big puddle of jelly. He's the one who provides us with the air that we breathe. He's the creator, the sustainer, the air. Uh, I knew someone once who stood to inherit millions of pounds and a couple of titles when uh, the time came. Other people I know will be lucky to inherit a useless DVD player if it's still working at that time. But Jesus is the heir, the rightful inheritor of everything. Uh, I googled the other day, where did, where did my iPhone come from? Mind-boggling. Uh, the accelerometer comes from Germany. Audio chips come from either the UK, Taiwan, or Japan. The camera comes from Australia or India and Indonesia. Other bits come from China, the US, France, Italy, Israel, Turkey, and South Korea. Crazy when you think about it. That's what goes in your pocket. But all of those countries, and every other one that you could mention, part of the inheritance of Jesus. And then he reigns as well. You see at the end of verse 3 where it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's an echo of Psalm 110, which is a really big deal in Hebrews. It means that he's exalted and enthroned over all, that he shares the very throne of God on high. So that when you think of Jesus, you think of someone who is as majestic as God himself and has all of the power of God and enjoys the protection and the victory of God. He reigns. We'll come back to angels next week, but you'll see the point. Put the ideas together. Creator, sustainer, heir, ruler. And the son has a name that is above every name. 
He's superior and more excellent and better and greater than everyone and everything. And he is the one in whom our God has spoken to us. So choice, do we A, neglect and drift away from what we've heard, or B, pay much closer attention to him? And if you're weary, who do you think can help you? Voices that that ultimately will lead you away from the creator and the sustainer and the heir and the ruler, or the son himself. Finally here, the one who reveals perfectly and reigns supremely also purifies completely. Looking at that line in verse three that says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God after he'd made purification for sins. Uh, Purification, a word from the temple in the Old Testament. Um, And you know how if you had covered in mud from head to toe because you've been on a a sports pitch or whatever and you you walk up to meet someone and for some strange reason they're wearing a a shiny white suit. Maybe they're off to some sort of Bee Gees, whatever, I don't know. But they wouldn't want a really big hug from you at that moment, would they? If they're all nice and, and white and if you're covered in mud. Well, so too in the Old Testament, when something was spiritually dirty or impure or defiled, wasn't allowed anywhere near God because he himself is just too holy and pure to stand in the presence of evil. And that leaves all of us with a problem because at the right hand of God is where there is peace and security and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And the only way we can ascend to God's house and enjoy all of his blessing is if we have genuinely clean hands and a pure heart. And by nature, we just don't. If we were to try and count the number of times that any one of us has ever said or thought or done something impure in God's sight, the total would be huge. And if we try to add in the number of times we've deliberately failed to say or do something pure, then our calculators would just come back with an error message. It is like we were rolling around in spiritual muck. And I might be a bit dirtier than you, or you might be a bit dirtier than me, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is that none of us are clean. Here then is the good news, that the Son didn't come into the world the first time to punish sin. He will return to judge the living and the dead. He came the first time to purify people from it. And we'll learn in Hebrews that it was as Jesus offered himself up to die on the cross, that that great cleansing work was complete. Instant purification, inside and out for anyone and everyone who believes in him. So that in a weird kind of way, recognizing just how impure you are doesn't disqualify you from coming to know God and receiving this purification. It is rather the first step on the right road. Martin Luther put it quite well when he said, "Um, when Satan tells me I am a sinner, 
He comforts me immeasurably because Christ died for sinners. You may never have put your trust in Jesus before, but if today you were to admit your impurity and to ask him to wash you clean, you are to accept him as your Lord and King, the Son who reigns in your life, he'll purify you inside and out for all eternity. We'll hear loads more of all of that in Hebrews. But again, the, the primary application this morning is to those who are Christians. It's about our ears, and it's who are we listening to? Uh, put yourself back on the driving range. Tiger Woods uh, walks up and offers you this swing masterclass. At the same time, I turn up and offer you a swing masterclass. Well, you're back in the rehearsal room for a play. Here's Olivia Coleman. She's offering you to help you go over your lines, and I make the same offer. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the lesser? That's me, by the way, just so we're clear, I, I see my place in life. Or are you going to listen to the greater? Well, let's think about your whole life. Let's think about eternity. Let's think about what you want to do with your life over the next 10, 20, however 50 years you've got. Do you want to listen to the one who reveals God perfectly? The one who reigns over everything supremely. The one who alone can purify you completely. He's better and greater than everything. Everything in the Bible so far, everything the world has to offer, everything you already know. Why wouldn't you listen to him? And if you are weary, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, well, what is it that's tiring you out spiritually at the moment? For some, it'll be a trial that doesn't go away or a shame you can't get rid of or a sin that keeps tripping you up or a fear of what people would think if you were really sold out for Christ. For some, just the, the exhaustion of decades of service. Well, don't drift. Because how would we escape if we neglect such a great salvation as this? Instead, let's pay much closer attention to all that God has said to us in his son. Hopefully that'll tee us up for where we're going in Hebrews. Let's pray together. We are humbled, almighty God, by how great your son is. We're so humbled that you would speak to people like us and that you've done so in such a perfect way. Thank you that you have spoken supremely in your son. And thank you that your son is better and greater than everything, that he reveals you perfectly, that he reigns supremely, and that he can purify completely anyone who trusts in him. We're sorry then for times that we don't listen to him. And we're sorry for times that when we are weary in our hearts and our souls, we don't turn to him. And I pray that you would help us all as a church family and as individuals through this great letter to the Hebrews 
that we might not drift, but we might pay much closer attention to everything that you've said in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it for his name's sake. Amen.